been a rich experience in worship this morning, and thank you to all of you for being here today, and to our guests, may I add my welcome to you, and congratulations to those of you who took part in the scripture reading. That was um, very meaningful for all of us to share in, in that today, so thank you to Dr. Brackney, Dr. Jensen, and others who have been involved in that. Can you believe that this is the last chapel of our season? It's hard to believe that. And this Sunday, as we move to what is commonly called Holy Week in the life of the church, probably no other figure beside the Lord himself that stands out for me in Holy Week is Peter. You might have others that you would find um, are very special to you as you read scripture passages about what happened during that Holy Week and the different encounters that Jesus had, but I'm really taken with the Apostle Peter. The scripture passage that was just read, of course, was the context is just following the resurrection of Jesus. But it harkens back with Peter to his denial of Jesus. And then finally we have this reinstatement at the end. And I want to reflect briefly with you this morning and together that we might find a word from God for ourselves as we think not only about the conclusion of this semester, but as we think about ministry in general. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that as your word is shared today, that your Holy Spirit would use it to encourage us in our discipleship. We do seek to follow you with all of our hearts, and we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you present might remember, and some of you might still have, uh, this recording. Uh, the piece is called Take Me Back, and the, the person who recorded that is Andre Kroch. And uh, about 20 years ago, he made the recording. And the words are very simple. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first found you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first found you. And in the passage of scripture that was read, we find that the chronology is that the resurrection has occurred, the disciples have come from Jerusalem to Galilee. And if you do a quick Google search, you will find it's approximately 160 kilometers from Jerusalem to Galilee. Jerusalem, the site, of course, of those final days of Jesus and all the teaching that took place around the temple, and then leading toward Gethsemane, and then leading, of course, to Golgotha and the crucifixion. But the mighty resurrection had occurred, and these early disciples were perplexed to try to come to terms with what was actually happening. And Jesus told them to go where? To go north. To where? To, who remembers? To go where? What did he say to them? Go to Galilee. Go to the mountain. And so they did. And I don't know what you think of when you think about those early days after the resurrection. But we know there's interaction of about 40 days prior to the ascension of Jesus. And there's interaction with the disciples and others. And he appears to them, but then he goes. And we are told in scripture that we have this passage of days. It would have taken considerable time for the disciples to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. These days it takes about two hours by bus, and we've done that, some of us. The beauty of that place. This is where it began. It began in the Galilee. Jesus born. 
of course, in Bethlehem, but from Nazareth in the Galilee. It was the Galilee and all around this beautiful lake, Tiberias it's called, or the Sea of Galilee. It's not a large sea. These ten small villages and more that would have been around there, that's where it began. That's where it began for Peter, a fisherman, who on another occasion had fished all night. Do you remember? He caught nothing. And Jesus comes and invites him to follow him. And Peter says, what? Depart from me, Lord, because what? I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, come on. Or maybe he said, come on. I don't know how he, I don't know how he said it, but he said, come with me. Come with me. I want you to follow me because from now on you're going to fish for people. What did that mean? And so Peter does. And we know how we follow Jesus those three years. And sometimes in the, in the Easter story, in that Holy Week, we remember the devastation of Gethsemane and the Last Supper previous to that. And then you have Peter in the garden and he's so quick to act and he takes his sword and off comes the ear and Jesus restores the ear. Peter, impetuous, very quick. Maybe that's what I like about him. I don't know, but he's, he's quick. But he doesn't always think before he acts. That would have been an occasion. But then you have the rest of the disciples when Jesus is taken. What happens to Peter? Peter's among those who stay close enough. He's gathered around that fire. Jesus is going to trial. The rest of them have fled for their lives, but it's Peter who stayed close enough to hear the conversation. And Jesus had said to him, remember Jesus, what he told them? He said, even though Peter had said, I will never, I'd never leave you, Lord. I, I'll always follow you. And that was in his heart, and I believe that's what Peter fully intended. It's in our hearts today, isn't it? We want to fully follow Jesus. Isn't that in our hearts? Wouldn't that be what we tell him today? And yet only God knows what's really in our hearts. We have the best of intentions today. Some of you leaving here, going out into ministry. God knows what's in your heart. Well, Jesus said, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before that rooster crows in the morning. And it happened. It says that Peter goes out and he, he wept bitterly. So I want to think for a few moments about that denial. The devastation in Peter of the reality that his best intentions to serve the Lord met with denial. Denial. But still wanting to serve the Lord. And then what happens? He does go to the Galilee. And I want you to understand something this morning. I want you to understand that Peter was present on two occasions when Jesus appeared in his resurrected glory. Peter was there when John wasn't. You remember they went to John and they said, it's the Lord, he's been, he's been raised from the dead. And you know what John said? John said, hmm, I, he calculated. And he said, I will not believe this unless I what? Who, who remembers? What did John say? I'm not, pardon? Oh, sorry, sorry, thank you. Thank you, New Testament scholar. John was there. Was, it was Thomas, thank you. Thomas, what did Thomas say? Let's see the scars in your hand. Yeah, and put my hand in your side. I won't believe, and that happened for him. That happened for Thomas. Peter was there. But here's the thing. Do you think that the eyes of Jesus 
connected with the eyes of Peter. And if you know what I mean, there was no problem with the belief. Peter believed, he saw, he knew that Jesus was raised from the dead. But there was a problem with the relationship. There had been a denial. Then you have this diversion where he says, I'm going fishing. And sometimes when we don't know what else to do, we go back. We go back to what's familiar to us. We go back to the place where, what? We first found him. And Peter went out that night. He fished all night and again, nothing. Nothing. So here he has this dilemma. He believed, but the relationship wasn't right. Do you understand the, the, what's happening here? He believed. He'd seen the Lord. But he's still full of an ache that won't pass because something was between him and the Lord. That denial was still unresolved. And then you have, those of you who have walked on those shores of Galilee, and don't I love it, and I wish I was going with Anna and Glenn and everybody else who's going. It's an incredible experience early in the morning to see the sun come up over the Golan Heights and to walk the stillness of the place and voices heard across that lake. They look to shore and they see a fire with a bit of smoke. And then the voice comes. Have you caught anything? Because the scripture says, they fished all night, couldn't, didn't catch a thing. Did you catch anything? And then finally to move quickly through the passage, they realize it's Jesus. Peter, wanting, hungering for that relationship, jumps out of the boat goes to the shore, and they have the breakfast, fish, loaves, and I think the rest of the disciples would have been looking around going, do you think he's going to talk to Peter? They all knew who Peter was to Jesus. And then after breakfast, and I'll tell you, one of the hardest places to be when the relationships aren't right is where? At a table. It's breakfast. Quiet morning. And the gaze comes to Peter. Do you love me? Heartful, he's able to say, Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Almost a sense of relief welling up in Peter. Phew, we're getting there. Then again. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And then comes the third question. By now, I don't know if there would have been an eye-to-eye -eye gaze or if Peter's head would have been in the sand. Peter, do you love me? Scripture says Peter's hurt. The, what's happening in the Greek here is that he is devastated to the core. He finally says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus did. He knew he loved him. And I don't want to remember when I go into this Holy Week just about the denial. I don't want to remember just how that, that awful spot happened. I want to move, I want to, move to 
The cross, yes, I want to move to resurrection, but I want to remember that Jesus made it right with Peter. He made it right. And this morning, you might have all the facts. You've taken New Testament. You've taken the Old Testament. You've taken theology, ethics, and on it goes. You can have it all right, but what's your relationship with Jesus like today? What's it like? If there's something in between, let him look at you and say, do you love me? And with your heart you can say, you know I love you. Peter becomes the pastor, the preacher, the apostle of the church in Jerusalem. He's the one filled with the Holy Spirit later who preaches to the multitudes, no fear, and over 3,000 people become Christians. Peter's the one the Lord uses when the Gentiles are getting saved. And he can't believe it that people who were not Jews could actually be folded into the people of God. And he's the one who proclaims it. And the church grows. Peter didn't always get it right. He had to be challenged by some of his colleagues in ministry. And he took that. A denial of Jesus doesn't have to end in a diversion or a desertion. A denial of Jesus can actually end in a discipleship when we will humble ourselves before the Lord and let him look at us and cleanse us as only he can and really fill us for the ministry. My prayer for you, some of you graduating, is that you just won't be filled with knowledge. That you just won't get it right. That you just won't know that Jesus died for your sins and for everyone else's. That you just won't know things in your head. But you'll have the gaze of Christ in your eye. Do you love me? And you're able to say. Lord you know I love you. Will you always get it right? No. Will the president of the college always get it right? No. No. But the Lord will use us. He'll use us. And he can turn all that around. And we can go forward with confidence, filled with the Spirit, for whatever ministries God has for us, whatever they are. So I pray for you that you will not be diverted in your discipleship. That you'll not be discouraged. That you won't feel that if you fail, it's over and done for you forever. No. Even a denial that might cause you to weep bitterly must not end there. It can end in joyful restoration and in joyful service for Christ. That's what I pray and hope for all of you as you go forward in ministry. And the joy of the Lord be your strength. Not the knowledge alone got to have it. But the joy of his presence, his gaze, his hand, his blessing. Now remember the Reverend David Coffey, head of our Baptist World Alliance, when he came in as our president, said a phrase I'd never heard before. He said humbly, this was in Birmingham, when he was installed as president, he said, humbly I say to you, I feel upon me the favor of God. I want you to feel his favor and know it.
straight in your minds so you can confidently look upon Him and know you love Him, He loves you, there's nothing in between. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, convict us where our relationship with you is not right. And as we confess our sins, your word says, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit, for without you we can do nothing But with God, all things are possible. Bless these students, our faculty, our staff, that we might honor the name of Christ, whom we serve with joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength.